You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. Well, it's hard to believe that uh, today we conclude our summer series. This has been a great summer. I, I hate to see summers come to an end at Cibolo Creek because we always have so much fun and... Um, I enjoy the experience that we get to all share together as a church family. And I think that this summer kind of ranks right up there at the top of some of the best summers that we've shared together here at Cibolo. And there's a lot to enjoy. I've enjoyed the topic that we've explored about getting in the game of our faith and our church and our decision to follow Jesus. Um, I love the Sunday that we got to celebrate the baptism of 14 individuals. That was a very exciting Sunday. I've loved this back-to-school contest that we've been doing, and you guys have been so great uh, participating. The donations have been substantial, and our, um, our school district is very, very grateful for Sybil Creek's participation in all that. And congratulations to the Rangers for uh, winning the World Series this summer. Thank you for your huge generosity. And evidently, if you didn't understand, after the end of the service, as the World Series champions, we have a special treat just for this section, so the rest of you don't be taking the cotton candy that belongs to these people, all right? (laughs) Remember, you're in church, so be nice about it, but congratulations. Thank you guys for your participation. I've enjoyed having the students with us all summer. How about another round of applause for our students? You guys have been great. Thanks for being a part. And then uh, we, a couple of us, about 60 of us, went to the missions game this summer. We had a great time there, and I got to know some people that I haven't had a chance to meet, and that was a lot of fun. And then probably the, one of the highlights of the summer was our seventh inning stretch that we had about two weeks ago, and the concert was awesome, and the food was delicious, and most of all, just getting to hang out. I think over 200 people from our church family came to that, and, and that was a lot of fun. So the summers are fun at Cibolo Creek. But I have to tell you, probably my absolute favorite part of this whole summer has been this, my jersey. And let me tell you why. I haven't spent a single second this summer standing in my closet wondering, what in the world am I going to wear today? Now, I'm not much into the clothes thing. I don't know. It's just not much interest to me. But I have not spent a single second going, does this shirt go with these pants? Is this a brown belt or a black belt situation? Or, uh, you know, did I wear this shirt last Sunday? And will anybody remember? And they do remember. Um, I had a lady once tell me that I, like, kept her distracted the whole service because that second button on my long sleeve shirt was unbuttoned, and she just couldn't. So they notice, evidently. But um, I've loved it. And so here's what I've decided. Some ministers spend their entire ministry wearing a robe, So what if I just finish out the last 10 that I have wearing a baseball jersey, right? So going forward, if you see me wearing this thing, that's because either I didn't feel like messing with clothes that day or uh, I didn't have anything else clean. So uh, just know that. Uh, But this has been a really, really fun summer. And I'm looking forward to what the fall holds for us, but it's been great to have us all together. We're looking at the prospects of moving to a second service here in the, in the near future just to kind of maintain and, and be able to provide for our growing audience. Um, but here we are today, the ninth inning of our series, and one final message. And I just have to tell you the truth that um, I've been debating this message now for months. Literally, 
You know, about two months before the summer began, we have a team on our staff that plans our services, and we started meeting together and brainstorming ideas for our theme and what would be some of the creative things that we would do. And the assignment that was given to me was to chart out the nine weeks of messages and what would the topics be. And four months ago, I identified what the final topic would be. And, and I thought to myself, you know what? Ah, it seems kind of heavy as a way to you know, end the summer. We should do something more upbeat and inspirational. But um, I, I had identified this one message topic and I thought, you know what? That's four months away. Uh, it'll change and we're flexible. I'll come up with a different idea. And here we are and it didn't change. And I prayed about it, and I thought about it, and I wrestled with God, like, God, really, let's, let's kind of end on a high note. And, and he said, I want, uh, no, I want you to go ahead and, and share this message, because this message is very, very important. It's very, very important for every one of us to understand and have a crystal clear understanding of what it's all about. So there's this phrase that we use in baseball from time to time. You don't hear it often, but when you hear it, it's a big deal. When you hear this particular phrase in baseball, it has a lot of urgency to it. When you hear this phrase in baseball, here's what's happening. You're either sitting on the edge of your seat or you're pacing back and forth in front of your television very, very nervously. If you hear this phrase, you're either yelling and screaming at the top of your lungs or you're insisting that everybody around you be quiet. If you hear this phrase, you're turning your baseball cap inside out and backwards or you're saying a prayer for the best of luck for your team. If you hear this phrase, you're either biting your fingernails or you're stuffing your face with chips out of nervous energy. This is one of the most urgent phrases in all of baseball. You ready? Game seven of the World Series. Now there's more, but we're just gonna take it a little bit at a time. We're in game seven of the World Series. Now for the uninitiated, may not understand, the champion of Major League Baseball is determined in the World Series. It is a series that's played the best out of seven games. The first team to win four games is declared the champion. The fact that we are in game seven of the World Series means that the two teams that are competing for the championship are now tied three games apiece. And this last game, this seventh game, is for all the marbles. Whoever wins this game is declared the champion. There's some urgency there. But that's not all. The game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth. Now again, those of you who may not know how baseball works, baseball's played over nine innings. The innings are divided in half. There's a top half and a bottom half. In the top half of the inning, the visiting team is batting first. They're on offense while the home team is in the field playing defense. Then the bottom half of the inning, they switch. And so the fact that we're in game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, indicates that the home team is either tied or is losing. And they get the last 
bats. The last chance to either tie the ball game or to go ahead to win. There's a lot of urgency there. Game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, two outs. So they've already put enough batters up to get two outs, maybe a pop-up fly, maybe a strikeout. Two outs, game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, two outs. You ready? You ready? Tying run on third. How urgent is that? That means that the batter who's up at this time, all he has to do is get a big enough hit to where he can make it to first so that the guy on third can come in and at least tie the game, send it into extra innings and hold out the hope of still winning the World Series. I don't know about you, but whenever I've witnessed this situation, that last batter standing in the batter's box, I just can't even imagine the pressure he must feel. The pressure from his teammates, the pressure from tens of thousands of fans around the nation who are depending on him to get the hit that he needs to bring that tying run home. It doesn't get much more urgent than that. So we use a phrase, and the phrase is, in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, we know that game seven of the World Series is just that, it's a game. It's just some guys playing baseball. In the grand scheme of things, we understand that in 12 months, they'll be playing this series again, and there'll be a new champion decided. In the grand scheme of things, we, we know that there's more important things in life, like hunger and homelessness and injustice, people in need of love and compassion and hope. But my question this morning is, in the grand scheme of things, do we know what is, in fact, the most important matter? We know that the game of baseball isn't the most important thing in the grand scheme of things, but do we know what is the single most important matter or urgent matter in all of life? Do you know? Do you think you know? Have you ever even thought about it? Well, today, I want to make sure that there's absolutely no confusion, no question, no doubt about the urgency of the situation. I want you to understand that from God's perspective, what the bottom of the ninth is all about. Now, here's how I'm gonna explain it to you. And that's just all I'm gonna do is explain it to you. I'm not gonna yell and scream and rant and rave. I just wanna talk to you. I wanna show you what I understand the Bible to teach about the single most urgent issue in all of life. You know, studying the Bible sometimes is like putting a puzzle together. 
What you do is you find different pieces throughout the books of the Bible that relate to a certain topic. Rarely do you find the entire topic explained all in one place. You find pieces, and then what you do is you put the pieces together, and pretty soon a picture starts to come into view, and you go, oh, that's what the Bible has to say on this particular topic. And that's what I want to do today. I want to show you some different pieces of the puzzle. And hopefully by the time that we're done together, the picture will be crystal clear about what is the single most urgent issue in life. Does that make sense? Now, let's just be honest with each other. Ultimately, this will come down to what you make of the Bible. If you think the Bible is just sort of some collection of religious writings, inspirational sayings, but it's not really the words of God, then, then you can take what I have to say on the subject today and you can dismiss it, you can decide it's not really all that urgent and that you don't have any accountability to it. But if you understand that what the Bible has to say is in fact revelation from God himself to us as human beings, then I can't help but think that we would sit up and take serious notice of what the Bible has to say on this topic. And so we begin with this first verse. Hebrews chapter nine, it is appointed for men or for women, it's appointed for human beings to die once and after this comes judgment. I don't know about you, but I read a verse like that, and that sounds like game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, two outs. That sounds like serious stuff. It's appointed unto human beings to die one time, and then after that comes judgment. There's a couple of things that we can learn just, just from the surface of this verse. And the first one is, we only get one life. We only get one life. Right now, you are living your one and only life. Some of you, you're 14 years into it. Some of you, you're 34 years into it. Some of you, you're 64 years into it. Some of you are 84 years into it, but you are into your one and only life. There's not another one. The verse also tells us this, we're all gonna die. There's no exceptions. Nobody's gonna beat the rule. We're all gonna die. And here's what I find one of the most disturbing truths about that is that unlike baseball, we don't have any idea what inning we're in. And most people that I talk to they live their life like they're in the top of the second and there's still seven and a half more innings to go. But here's what I want you to understand. I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how healthy you imagine yourself to be. You have absolutely no idea when you're going to die. God 
does. He knows exactly when, where, and how I'm going to die, and I don't have a clue. And every once in a while, it's important for us as human beings to stop and think about that. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to think about it very often. And boy, don't talk about it too much at church. But every once in a while, we have to stop and remember that we have no idea what inning we're in. I will never forget a few years ago. I lost one of my very best friends in life. He was only 55 years old. He was two years older than me. He was incredibly successful. He was very wealthy and he had no real health issues. At the time of his death, he was at one of his favorite places on the planet doing one of his most favorite things in all of life. And he woke up in the middle of the night with some heartburn. And he never lived to see the next day. And for as long as I live, I remember a mutual friend who was with him in those moments calling me, wailing at the top of his lungs that we had lost John. None of us could have anticipated that. We only get one life. We're all going to die. And none of us knows what inning we're in. It's appointed unto man or to women to die. And after this comes judgment. Just so you know, I'm not making this up. This is all through the Bible. Look at this. Ecclesiastes. Now, all has been heard. This is Ecclesiastes. It's like a man's journal. And he's kind of making some observations of life. And he's now toward the end of the book, the last chapter. And he goes, okay, I've, I've talked about all the things. I've looked at all this life from different angles. Now that all's been considered, here's the conclusion of the matter that this man comes to. He says, man, the most important thing is fear God. Respect God, revere God, keep his commandments, whatever you do, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed, every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. There's no secrets to a God who knows everything. There's no hiding. There's no, well, I'm all alone by myself. Nobody knows what I'm up to. With a holy living God who sees all, he knows all and all of it will be brought into judgment. Look at this, Romans, Paul writes this. You, therefore, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, You're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment 
The truth is you do the same sort of things, maybe slightly different than somebody else, but you do things worthy of judgment. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. God can't be deceived. He can't be yanked around. There's not anybody who's gonna talk him out of something. It's based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, you pass judgment on them and yet you do the same sorts of things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to give you the opportunity to come to a place of repentance? Look at this. But because of our stubbornness, and our unrepentant heart, I mean, listen to these words. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath and when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done, not what they wish they would have done, not what they would have liked to have done, but what they did do. Romans 14, for we will, who? All, me, you. We will all stand before God's judgment seat as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us, we will give an account of ourselves to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether they were good things or whether they were bad things. And listen to the urgency of this, but I tell you that everyone, everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they've spoken. How stiff will the judgment be? Our words will be on the line for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose not just our words, not just the things we did in secret, he'll expose the motives of our heart. Well, publicly we may put on this face, but down in our heart, we're something quite different. God's going to judge that. Do you understand the urgency of the hour? Listen to this. Every human being in all of history will stand before the holy, righteous, just God of the universe to give an account of their life. No exceptions. I'll be there, you'll be there. 
Every person who has ever lived will be found guilty of breaking God's laws and offending his holiness. The book of Romans tells us, for all have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the standard of God's holiness. As good as we think we are, as nice as we have been, all of us are guilty of having broken God's holy laws. And on judgment day, some people will stand before God as a holy, righteous judge. They'll be there to defend themselves. And others, others will stand before God as their loving and gracious father. (laughs) You're a smart audience. I don't think it takes a lot to understand which one of those would I rather be. Some will stand before God as a judge and others will stand before God as their father. And that choice is yours. And only you can make that choice. Look at this. This is so promising. John, in his gospel, says, to all, to anybody and everybody who received Jesus, invited Jesus into their life, to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, who he was, who he claimed to be, what he provided, those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. God is now their father, their loving, gracious father. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision of a husband's will, but children born of God. That's why Jesus says this in John chapter 14, I'm the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except they come through me, Jesus. The book of Acts tells us this way, salvation being rescued from the guilt of our sins, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved and that name is who? Jesus I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me, Jesus. And and we react to that. We live in a world that reacts to that. And our world reacts like this. Well, that doesn't seem fair. And that doesn't seem loving. It doesn't seem fair that there's only one way to God. I, I, I like to believe there are multiple ways to God. There's different roads. They all end up in the same place. It doesn't seem fair to say for Jesus to be the truth, the way, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That sounds very exclusive. It, it doesn't seem loving. You talk about your God being so kind and compassionate and gracious and forgiving, and yet he's, he's willing that some people will stand before him as judge for their deeds, and he will judge them according to their deeds. That doesn't seem very kind. Why didn't he just let everybody in? Because he's a holy, righteous, just God. When it comes to being fair, when it comes to sounding loving, there's there's only one thing I have to say, and that is this, that we as human beings, we don't get to dictate how God should run his universe. 
you know what? We as human beings, we would, do, we would do ourselves the biggest favor if we could get one simple truth fixed in our minds. Because once we get this one truth fixed in our minds, we begin to accept it and understand it, it goes so much better for us in life. Would you like to know what that truth is? The truth is this. There's a difference between being the one who is the creator and the one who is the created. God is the creator, so he gets to make the rules. We are created. We are fashioned by his hands, and he breathed life into our soul and allowed us to live. And if we could get that through our thick skulls and our stubborn soul, that we're not in charge, it makes all the difference. But here's why this is so beautiful, that that creator, that holy, righteous God of the universe, he loves you so much that he decided he'd do something to offer help for us in our predicament that we would all be guilty before him. And so we read things like this, God so loved you. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, I don't care why you've done, where you've been, how many times you've done it, how long you've been doing it, that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God, he didn't send Jesus into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be rescued through him. John chapter three, he who believes in Jesus is not what? Judged. He's not judged. He, he does not believe, but he who does not believe or she who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. It comes back to Jesus every time. He who believes in Jesus the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on that person in their sinfulness. Jesus in John chapter five said, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, they have eternal life, but he, and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. It doesn't get any clearer than this. Romans chapter six, the wages of sin is death, separation from God for eternity, but the free gift of God is I wanna give you eternal life and I do that through Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter one, in Jesus we have redemption, the payment for sin. We have redemption through his blood. That's why he died on the cross. The forgiveness of our trespasses or sins according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. That's, that's God's attitude toward you, toward me. Folks, I'm telling you, those are just a couple of the verses that make it crystal clear of God's love toward us in wanting to rescue us from the judgment that awaits us as human beings. 
So it comes down to this. In eternity, each and every human being lives with the choice they made while on earth about the message of Jesus. You get to decide. And whatever you decide, you need to know that you'll live in that decision for an eternity. Reject Jesus, live with that decision for an eternity. Accept Jesus, live with that decision for an eternity. And, and here's, again, I, I just, I do this out of love and concern and compassion for you. This is a sense of urgency in my heart that I want you to understand. Here's the options. Again, looking at the clues of the scriptures, here are the options. I, I don't see any variables. Heaven. Heaven is for sinners. It's for sinners like me who have been rescued by grace through faith in Jesus. It's not because of anything that I've done to earn it or to merit to behave myself into it. I certainly, I'm certainly not gonna be one who can pay my way in. The only way that I will get to heaven is because of my declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, his death on my behalf and my trust, my faith in that because of God's good grace. That's, that's the only reason. And the option is hell. And hell is for sinners, just like heaven is. But hell is for sinners who refused the offer of salvation through Jesus. I don't have time for that. I don't believe that stuff. I don't buy that. That's just, you're just trying to scare me. I, I'm not interested. That's fine. I just wanted you to know the options. Does that make sense? Just a few years ago, I was a teenager. <laughs> just, just a few though. So when I was a teenager, this would be like early 80s, late 70s. I just turned 60. It's all starting to blur. Um, <laughs> it gets worse. Okay, so when I was a teenager, one of the popular things that was happening in churches at the time was this, this thing called street evangelism. That's when, when you would go out to public places and you would engage complete strangers in conversations about Jesus. So you'd go to like malls or parks or city squares. So when I was a teenager, our youth group leader took a bunch of us downtown Scranton, Pennsylvania to the courthouse square, which was a place where a lot of people hung out. And probably with the enticement of pizza, if we um, w did it, um, he set us free. He says, I want you to go talk to people about Jesus. I'll never forget, me and a buddy of mine, we engaged these, um, I think there were five people sitting on a park bench. And it didn't take very long for us to recognize that 
they had had a little bit to drink. <laughs> they were very intoxicated. So they welcomed this conversation because they thought this would be kind of fun. So we get to into this conversation. I'm just a teenager. I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this very interesting situation. And one of the guys, I'll never forget this. One of the guys goes, hell? Oh, I, I can't wait to go to hell. I mean, hell's gonna be a great time. In hell, I, I don't have to go to work. I don't have to pay mortgage or rent. I, I can't wait to go to hell because in hell, I'll get to drink as much as I want. In hell, I'll get to have as much sex as I want with whomever I want. It's gonna be awesome. I think hell's gonna be like Club Med. Now, I was, I was just a kid. I didn't know how to engage in that. I didn't know how to come back to that. But here I am now, 60. I got a few miles under my belt, and I've studied a few things. And I have quite a different picture that I wish, I wish I could have shared with him that day. You see, hell... Hell is the absence of God. None of his influence is felt in hell. So we read in the Bible that God is light. That means in hell, it's utter and complete darkness. You won't have friends in hell. You won't even know who you're standing next to. You'll be complete strangers. There won't be parties and sex and drinking because you won't even know who's there. God is love. In hell, there is no love. There's only utter hatred. That person that you can't see in the darkness will be your own worst enemy clawing and grabbing and screaming and fighting for survival. God is truth. In hell, there is no truth. In other words, Satan will have spent your entire life feeding you a lie about all the great things that you'll do in hell that you'll be free from on this earth. You can have as much sex as you want, drink as much as you want, go to, never go to work again. Just, just, that's a lie. And in hell, you'll come to grips with the truth of how deceived you were. Maybe that's why in the gospels, Jesus describes hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an awful place. If you have your Bible, we're going to close with this. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, whether it's on your phone or you have the book in your hand, come with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The words will be here on the screen behind me. It's appointed unto men and women to die. And after this, the judgment. 
John in his revelation writes this in verse 11 of chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and I saw him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was, there was no place for anyone to hide. And I saw the dead. I saw the great ones and the small ones, the famous ones and the insignificant ones, the wealthy ones and the poor ones. I saw them great and small standing before the throne and books were opened. And another book was opened and it is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as what was recorded in these books. The sea gave up their dead. Death and Hades gave up the dead. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Here it is. This is about as urgent as I know it to be. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's urgent. And not a single one of us in the sound of my voice knows what inning we're in. So it really is game seven of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, two outs. And you're up to bat. you have a decision to make. Either reject Jesus or turn to him. Repent of your sin and invite the forgiveness of Jesus secured on the cross for yourself. It doesn't get any more urgent than that. Make sense? I know. Probably not the way to spend the end of a summer. But I just couldn't wrap this series up without sharing what was on my heart. The good news? The good news is that our theme's been baseball. And what is baseball without a good baseball helmet full of ice cream? And that's what's waiting for you after the service. But if you're sitting here right now or you're watching online and you're thinking, oh, man, I got, I got some things to think about. I'd like to talk to someone about this, then here's what I'd like 
you to know is that I've invited some people to join me here at the front of the auditorium. Joe, on our staff, he's invited some other people. Joe, come on ahead so people can see you, whoever else is coming up here with you. I think Landon's going to join us here today. I'll be down front. And here's, I don't want this to get weird for you. Here's the deal. If you want to talk to someone, Landon here, Joe's here, I'm here. We can find somebody else that you might be more comfortable to talk with. You don't have to wrap it all up here today. Maybe you make an appointment, have lunch, or continue the conversation some other time. But just don't go into the bottom of the ninth two outs. not knowing where you stand with Jesus. I don't tell you that to scare you. I tell you that to warn you that it's appointed unto human beings to die. And after this, judgment. I want you to stand before a living and holy God with the defense of Jesus on your behalf because you're one of his sons or his daughters. Make sense? I ask you to stand together. God, I just trust in you right now. The work of your spirit in a human heart, human mind, to do what I can't do and, and what I don't want to do. I don't, I don't care to manipulate intimidate, scare. That's of no interest to me. I just want to make sure that people understand. So I invite you, Father, please be at work in people's hearts, particularly that person who still has yet to make a decision of faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. If we can be of help to them, Father, please draw us together so that we could offer that resource to them. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, his death on our behalf so that we might be restored to a relationship with you as our loving heavenly Father in anticipation of standing before you someday knowing that we are forgiven and welcomed into your presence in heaven for an eternity. We thank you for all of this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.